Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I can't wait to tell you all about this episode and I know it's one that's been quite highly anticipated because it's a topic that hits so many of us parents and carers and really just humans in the hearts and that topic is anxiety and in particular we're speaking about anxiety in children. Now before I tell you about today's guest who I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from, I wanted to take a quick moment To let you know, today's episode is brought to you by Nutra Organics. You guys know I'm a bit of a broken record on Nutra Organics. I'm a massive, massive fan of their range. And in particular, today I wanted to talk with you about their range of clean protein powders. Now, a little while ago on Instagram, I shared with you that one of my favorite ways to incorporate the Nutra Organics protein powders into my day is that I whip it into, I whip it, um, I mix it into like a paste or almost like a cookie dough. So I will get the clean protein and the exotic vanilla or the cacao chalk And I just add small increments of milk. I use cashew milk, almond milk, or macadamia milk. You can use whatever you want. You could do it with water, but I think it's creamier with a nut milk. And you just whip it until it goes into like a bit of a dough texture. And you can add some peanut butter or some nuts or some choc chips. And it seriously is like eating cookie dough. Or I like to blitz the protein powder with a bit of milk, some frozen bananas, and I make it kind of runny and then I set it in the freezer for an hour or two or you could pop it in the freezer and pop a lid on it and have it whenever you like. But it makes it into like a protein healthy ice cream treat at the end of the day. I'm definitely partial to using the vanilla protein with frozen banana peanut butter and some of the Nutra Organics cacao nibs and even the carob powder on top. It is so delicious. Now you can use that protein powder, of course, just for your standard smoothies as well, however you like to use it. But I love the clean chalk and the exotic vanilla. They're my favorite right now. And I do have a discount code for you. And that discount code is all in capitals, Kylie Protein for 15% off the whole Nutra Organics range. So just again, letting you know, the discount code is KYLIEPROTEIN, all in caps. And if you just pop Nutra Organics into your search, it will come up with their website. Have a look at their protein powders and definitely take advantage of that 15% off. They are super speedy with shipping. They have amazing customer service. And If you're like me and you just enjoy having something sweet and that feels like a treat, but you know that it's good for you and it's not going to upset your stomach or anything like that because these protein powders are really high quality and they don't contain any animal products. They don't upset your body. I don't find that they upset my body. Of course, always look at the ingredients. Do your own due diligence and your own research. I'm a huge fan. That code again is Kylie Protein for that 15% off. 
Now, let's get stuck into today's episode. Before I introduce today's guest to you, or before I start the conversation, I wanted to speak with you a little bit about today's guest because I'm really, really excited to share this episode with you. So just for a bit of scope on today's guest... Her name is Karen Young, and she has worked extensively with children, teens, and families. She began her career as a psychologist before she founded Hey Sigmund, an internationally popular online resource that provides research-driven information on anxiety in children and also in teenagers as well. She regularly consults with schools, parenting groups, and government organizations to provide practical guidance on how best to implement strategies and nurture the mindset to strengthen all young people against anxiety and to build courage and resilience. Karen has released three books, including Hey Warrior, Hey Awesome, and But We're Not Lines. Hey Warrior has sold over 100,000 copies and is now being translated into a number of languages. She really hopes that Hey Warrior will promote a wider understanding of anxiety in children and help the adults who are guiding children through anxious times. I can say for certain, Hey Warrior is a brilliant book. We own a copy of it and it's been so good to have on hand. It's really helped my boys to understand that anxiety is part of being a human. And the book is brilliant, the way that it explains how anxiety serves us in a really child-friendly way. So I highly recommend this book and I think that you'll enjoy this conversation where we touch on all different areas of anxiety, including separation anxiety, school drop-offs, daycare drop-offs, approaching teachers, all sorts of things. We talk about how we as parents, if we're experiencing anxiety, how we can share that with our children, how to model great behavior surrounding anxiety. There is so much goodness in this episode and this chat with Karen. So please enjoy. Karen, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to have a chat with us. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased that we are having this conversation and talking about anxiety. I know it's such a big one. And before we dive into it, how are you coping during this time? I know before we started recording, we were having a bit of a chat about mum life, but how are you going with it all? Look, it's a bit different for me because my kiddos are older, So, but I do have a daughter in... Um, Year 12, and I think the the thing, part of being a parent is, you know, we have our own stuff going on, but a big part of that is fed by what's going on for you know, for our family. Um, so I'm doing okay. I'm, you know, there are parts of this that I'm really grateful for and the stillness and the, and the um, you know, the moments where we can just take it slower having everybody um, home all the time. My son's 22, so knowing they're all going to be home for dinner every night. Knowing where he is. <laughs> kind of nice. <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, it's also, um, it's hard on the grade 12s, so I'm, I get that. And I feel the isolation and the disconnect that is coming with um with isolation at the moment so there's good and bad and I also know that it is temporary and I I know that we this is something we just have to do to look out for each other and there will come a point where it will end so I'm doing okay. I'm glad to hear that you're well and I imagine that given your zone of expertise that a lot of people in your life would be reaching out and turning to you for support and for guidance throughout these times and I know that one of your books in particular, Hey Warrior, has been such a help to me personally in helping my two boys with managing their anxiety. And also my friends, I've been loaning out my copy of Hey Warrior and I'm saying to them, you need to go and get your own copy because it's such a brilliant <laughs> book. Um, but it's so, so helpful. So I'm really grateful for that resource. And just with everything that's going on right now with the uncertainty, that's bound to bring up some more anxiety for us as adults, but also for little ones. And that's mm. why I'm so excited to have this chat with you today because anxiety amongst toddlers and children in particular 
is such a big concern for so many parents and understandably so I mean you just said yourself like how you're feeling as an individual is often swayed by how your children are doing so it's Mm. understandable that we carry that weight when Mm. our children are struggling and it's so heartbreaking when your kids are going through anxiety so before we dive in I would love to know how do you define anxiety in children and what are some of the telltale, I guess, indicators that a child could be struggling with anxiety? Mm. So the thing we have to remember about anxiety is it's a really normal human response. If we weren't able to feel anxious, if we didn't have any capacity for anxiety, we'd all we'd be dead because anxiety is that warning system in us which warns us of danger. So it's there for a really good reason. It's the oldest um, of the human responses and I think the most human of the human responses because it's been doing its thing for a long time. So it's wired into us and it's why we've survived for so long um, as a a humanity, um, as a species. Where it gets in the way is when it happens for when there is actually no threat. So anxiety happens when the brain registers some sort of threat and it mobilises our body to fight the danger or flee the danger. That's how it's meant to happen. So when you're walking past a dark alley, that feeling in you, that's anxiety doing its job, steering you away. Now, the problem is that um, anxiety can also, the brain can register threat when there isn't actually a threat there and that's usually psychological threat so fear of humiliation judgment making a mistake failure separation from an important person that can happen to any any of us the brain will register that as threat we don't always know what the brain is registering as threat the brain knows but we don't always know consciously Um, so the brain will register threat even if it's a maybe just to just I'm just going to get your body ready to get safe just in case there's an issue here now the problem with psychological threats is there's nothing to fight or flee so when there's separation from a person from an important person or fear of judgment or failure or humiliation or loss there's nothing to fight or flee and that's when anxiety gets in the way because we've for our kids they're mobilized their bodies are mobilized ready to deal with a threat but when there isn't a threat so it's also important to remember it's about what the brain perceives as safe or not 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 necess- it's not necessarily what is about what about what is actually safe so here's where we come to the symptoms of anxiety we have to remember basically at its heart anxiety is physiological it is the body and brain mobilizing the body to deal with a threat so it's a really healthy amazing response now that Every physical um, symptom that comes with anxiety, so racy heart, sick tummy, clammy skin, they all happen for a really good reason and that's all part of the brain mobilising the body um, towards anxiety and that's, and it's in, and that's, that's, the, that's the hay warrior and it's mm. important to understand that it is our brain trying to protect us. Now, what happens because anxiety feels so scary, it's meant to, it's meant to feel bad, to mobilise us into action, um, it can lead into psychological and behavioural responses and that's what we see in our kids. So it might be restlessness, it might be not being able to sleep, it might be anger or tantrums or aggression. That's actually the fight part of the fight or flight response that makes sense. It might be avoidance or clinginess. Um, and that is flight. I want to avoid that. It can be sick tummies or really sore tummies. Anxiety can make the muscles of the gastrointestinal tract contract. So if kids are getting anxious on the way to school or kindy, they might um, talk about a tummy ache. So they, yeah. yeah, which I'm sure a lot of parents will be nodding along. I think that's yeah. one of the big ones for kids. Yeah, and that's all part of anxiety. And, of course, you, you've got to make sure that it's not anything else. But it is a really common symptom of anxiety. Um, might be big tears because the amygdala, which is in charge of anxiety, is in charge of all big emotion. It's one of the ways it keeps us safe. People notice when you're in big emotion. So it could be big tears and they might talk about feeling sad because that's this, that's how we make sense of tears is I must feel sad about I'm sad about being away from you. I'm going to miss you. Um, and that can all have anxiety underneath it. Um, so those um, feeling sick in the tummy, having butterflies, racy heart, 
flushed face, clammy skin. That's all. Um, that that can Acting all be. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Big behaviour. Um, the thing to remember is all. There's no such thing as as bad kids or naughty kids. It's all driven by something. I think a lot of big behaviour, especially um, anger or angry behaviour or refusal, they might deny you. They might be very controlling and take control. So that's not to be difficult. That's because they're trying to control for if they can control everything, maybe then I'll, I'll feel safe. So it can get in the way of friendships like that and families if they're trying to control you. Um, so that's all. And they're all okay. We can deal with all of those. Um, but anger never exists on its own. It always has something underneath it. And I think often it's anxiety. Thank you so much for explaining all of that. That's so helpful. And it's something that I'm often saying to our community of parents is one of the biggest challenges with parenting is you can feel like you need to naturally respond to a, what I would say is like a symptom, a symptom behavior. You know, you want to treat that symptom of them acting out by dealing with that. But when you understand that there is an underlying cause and you can then treat the cause and you can go in from a different angle, those systematic behaviors, the meltdowns, and whilst they're never going to completely go away, they can improve just by actually going, okay, do I need to treat the symptom or the cause here? Mm, absolutely. And the thing to remember is all those big emotions, they're actually a call for us to come closer in kids. They're a call for yeah. support. And it doesn't always seem like it when they're telling us to go away and I hate you and you don't love me and all the things that come with it. But we have to remember that's a brain under threat. That's a brain mm. that's registered threat. It's actually not who they are. So while we need to respect their space, if they're saying just go away from me, um, we need to 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 still be in connecting dis close enough for them to see us and 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 we're right there when they're when when um you know when they're ready and and we let them know that we're here and we can see them and we get them and 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 they're Absolutely. safe. Absolutely. I mean, even as adults, it takes us so long. Like I feel now in my thirties I'm pretty good at communicating, but even as someone who would say I'm a clear communicator, I still have moments where I don't actually say what I mean, let alone a poor child who their brain's still developing and they don't have life experience and they're, you know, just so self-centered because that's how they need to be. Of course, of course. And and when it is, and it might be anxiety because you know, I don't want to share my toys. And if I have to share my toy, then it might get broken and then I'll be really sad because I'll never be able to find another one. So it seems to us like they might be just upset because they have to share. But if we go underneath it, there is something important there. And it doesn't mean they don't share, but what it means is we have to catch that feeling and um, and help come, help them come back to safety because in any big emotion, they're not able to hear anything rational or logical like, no, no, they won't break it. It's not, they're not going to be listening. So we need to get them back to calm. And that's, um, so the way to think of all behaviour, which is fueled by anxiety, is a brain under threat. We manage the incident, um, keep everybody safe, and then we help that brain feel safe again. And that's when the work happens. So this isn't about being permissive as parents. We still need to have really strong boundaries and parent with strength because that's how kids feel safe they need to know that we've got this and we know what we're doing there are some parameters um, yeah but we do that when they're calm and we do it lovingly and with warmth so that the that so that they can actually hear it because we have I to remember that. yeah it's not they don't want to be doing this they don't want to be acting out like this I think one of the really important things for parents too while we're on this is not to take their behaviour personally because it's not a I was just about to say yeah. that. That was on the tip of my tongue. I was like, and that's why we have to remember exactly. that when our kids are acting out, it's not about us and it's not a, not necessarily a reflection of our parenting. And right. it, it can be tricky. It can be tricky to not take it personally, but, oh, there's such a, I think, a massive gift when you understand that their behaviour is not about you because then it does allow you to sort of come in with a bit more um, clarity and also being a bit more objective. Exactly. And we also have to remember we're actually wired as parents. Loving parents are meant to feel anxiety and distress when our children are anxious and distressed. That's actually how we keep them safe. So when they are amping up and, and in fight, as in fight or flight, the fight part, 
we're going to feel that as well. It's going to be really hard. So that's why their calm and courage has to start with ours. So we have to calm our amygdala, our anxious brain first, and then we can deal with them. Because we do, it is really understandable, you know, that we might take it personally. And even I know all this stuff, and it's sometimes I take things personally as a reflection. We're human and it's going to happen sometimes, but the more we can actually separate and say their behaviour is not a reflection of our parenting and it's actually not a, a reflection on who they are. They're great kids who at the moment uh, have a brain that is still in big, big development, so it's not able to control it yet. They've got, um, If it's anxiety, it's a brain that's registered threat and it's a little person who actually needs our support to help them feel safe. And then we do the, the work around what just happened there? What can you do differently next time? How can we put this right? You need my help. And, and you know, we put it right that way. And that's where um, we talk about what the boundaries are and what this can look like next time, but not in the middle of big feelings. Yeah. And so we've spoken a bit about, obviously, anxiety kind of as a general term. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine there are kind of different subcategories or different tangents of anxiety and I know that a lot of parents bring up separation anxiety and then Mm. there's also sort of I guess situational anxiety as well as generalized I would love to explore you know these with you because I think separation anxiety is such a big one for parents Mm. yes it is I think we have to be careful um, separating the different anxieties because we treat them fairly much the same it can be helpful to know where it's coming from but if a child is anxious about school is that generalized anxiety is it school phobia is it social anxiety is it separation anxiety we can't always tell but it is anxiety so sometimes it can be um, helpful as a way to direct what what we do but often um it something might might be separation anxiety but it can look like um, school phobia or phobia, it can look like other things. So we, anxiety, the other um, thing we need to be careful with in in labelling it, I suppose, is pathologising it because especially in kids, anxiety and separation anxiety is really normal and really understandable and it is actually, um, I actually often wonder why more kids don't get separation anxiety. If you look at what, separation anxiety does it's got a job to do when we're actually wired to feel safest when we're close to our important people so it is understandable that when there is a separation from a when a child is facing separation from an important person they're going to get um anxiety starting going to register because that is going to register as threat because being separated from an important big person um, can potentially be threat. Now, the the reason anxiety happens is to make them restore proximity to that person, and that's clinginess. So, anxiety is there to bring us back to, um, to bring kids back to us, so that they don't just keep wandering, wandering, wandering. It's there to make sure that they um, that they stay close enough to us. And obviously, as they develop and grow, we want them to be brave and independent. And it won't be be big. It it, it won't um, show itself in a big way in all kids. So it exists on a spectrum, and some kids will um, be clingy or or feel more separation anxiety than others. But any child, if you were to um, remove them from an important adult and if they were to really believe that there were no important adults around some degree of anxiety would register it's just that some kids can have that felt sense um or they can you know feel safer with other um adults it's not necessarily the one person that's something that that develops over time so separation anxiety is really understandable and it's got a job to do what we want to do is it can get in the way. We don't want it to stop them going to school and we don't want it to stop them going on play dates or sleepovers or doing things that are good for them. So we need to um, help them 
get to a point where they can say, well, I feel anxious and I can be brave. I can, I feel anxious and I can, and I know I'm safe, even though I feel like this. So we still want to move them towards it, but it's really important not to um, pathologize it. And speaking of pathologizing it, Karen, a lot of parents get in touch and say like, my baby is going through separation anxiety or my young toddler is, it really has, you know, quite strong separation anxiety. And then during conversation and I'm not an expert on this at all but during conversation it sort of seems more like it is age-appropriate clinginess Mm -hmm. rather than separation anxiety so Mm -hmm. how would you I guess advise a parent if they're feeling like wondering is this a normal level of clinginess or is this something deeper how could they tell so something is a problem when it causes a problem so I would say that most separation anxiety in young kids is is pretty age appropriate. It's pretty understandable when you look at where their brains are um, in terms of development. So for the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that can actually think logically and plan and 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 think of consequences and and do all those executive functions, that doesn't really start to come online to come on stage for development until they're about six or seven. So before that, um, it's really difficult for them to to have that um, sense of well, I feel anxious and I'm okay and I know I'm safe because it's that 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 capacity to feel two things at once, two seemingly opposite things at once, which is well, I'm being separated from my important big person that doesn't feel safe and I know I'm okay. That, that's going to be really difficult for them until they're about six, for a lot of kids until they're about six or seven. The thing I would say is the power lies with the parents. So rather than convincing the kids that it's safe, the brain learns through experience. So they actually need experiences of moving through anxiety and moving through separation from a parent and having it end okay. And that might take a long time. That might take a long time. So it's... So would um, you say that... Sorry, would you say that then sending little ones to daycare is important for children to build up that skill no. of separating? No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's important. I think it's sometimes un- unavoidable, and if that's where your life fits, then that's absolutely fine. But there are other ways to have that experience of separation, and it might be things like um, going to grandma's, or um, it might be things like. Um, where they stay at home and and mom goes to the shops without them, um, and there's no need to. We don't need to do this too early. So there will it will naturally come a point when they go to school where we get the opportunity to work on it. We don't necessarily need to work on it. Um, we don't need to manufacture um, opportunities for them to for little ones to to do that. The most important thing when they're young is not learning how to separate but learning that they are that they have this safe place to come back to so that relationship between the parent and the child or parents and and the child is really important there will be time for them to learn to separate later for some kids it will come earlier if they're at daycare and that's okay too that's absolutely okay that's not going to hurt them but it's not necessary it's not it's not a necessary part of their development what is necessary is that they learn that they that relationship between the parent and child um, is is really safe and reliable and um, consistent. It's there. So even if they do go to daycare, um, you know, if dad picks them up or mum picks them up, they're met with a big hug and and their face lights up. Um, and they're taken home and they're cuddled and and given. They know that they've got this safe place to come to but we certainly don't yeah I was just going to jump in and say I think that you have just provided so much comfort for so many parents (laughs) in hearing that Karen because I know myself like our um our boys didn't go to daycare when they were very young they started going around three and it was one day a week and I copped so much um pressure from people in my real life to you know on how important it is to send them to daycare and how important it is to socialise and how important it is to separate and things like that. And I know so many parents 
are facing that. So many parents get in touch and say, I don't know if I'm doing the wrong thing by not sending them to daycare, but I don't feel as though we're ready as a family. And so I think that what you just said then is so important. I just really wanted to come back and say like, just letting parents know that you do not need to manufacture that skill because it is an inevitable skill that they will face. Yes, absolutely. And the most important, the most important um, part of the most important job they have to do when they're, you know, when they're young is that attachment and that relationship because that will build that solid foundation for them to do the brave things, to separate, to do all of the things that they need to do. Um, mm. But I also want if, if parents are listening and they've been sending their little ones to daycare since they were babies, that's okay too because we have to do what we can do and do do how we can live. That won't break them either um, as, you know, as long as we're doing the attachment work on weekends and at night time and giving them that love bombing and, and lots of lots of um, attention and lots of love and, um, and letting them just have that sense of safety. That's the job. That attachment is the job they need to do. Separation, there is a time for that. They'll have plenty of time for that um, and we don't need to. I love that. And I love the term love bombing. It's one that my best, one of my best friend uses all the time. <laughs> it's like, oh, our kids are a bit sensitive. I just need to have a love bomb day. And it is <laughs> quality over quantity, I think, yeah. um, at times for certain families is, is what they can do. So that's amazing. And now just while we are on the topic of daycare, I know parents will be listening who have kids that are going to daycare now or school yeah. and their kids are struggling with the yeah. drop off. Do you yeah. have any tips, any sort of practical, I guess, advice for helping little ones through the drop-off? I know some educators are very clear on saying, you know, it's got to be a quick drop-off, whereas other yeah. ones will say, no, no, do it, you know, have a longer drop-off and integrate a bit more. Where do you kind of sit on that? So if you think of it in terms of the brain, the that anxiety is is about that point where they say goodbye. So as long as that is coming, they will stay, the brain will be going, we've got, it, we've got a chance here to actually not have mum or dad go away. So the brain will keep pushing that fight or flight response and it might be tears or it might be anger or it might be something, however it looks. Once the separation happens, the brain registers that there's nothing that can change now. And you might see even bigger tears and bigger anger Um that's okay too. That's what happens. Anxiety gets worse before it gets better. And then it rests. So for, I would say um, if you can have a quick, warm, loving, clear goodbye so that the brain can actually register um, that point and get on with the day. So what we need, but it does need to be warm and loving. If you need to, you can work up to that. So it doesn't have to happen all at once. So it might be, okay, I'm going to come in and I'm going to spend 10 minutes um, in the room with you and, and kids won't have a sense of 10 minutes, but but for you, um, 10 minutes, and then I'm going to give you a quick squeeze and big love and say goodbye and then do it. Um, but if we, but then let that be the way it is every day. So then don't go to 20 minutes or half an hour because that's just confusing for them. And it just gives the brain this added energy of going, oh, hang on, maybe we can make them stay longer. So what we want to do, if you think of, of, of that point of separation anxiety as a brain that's registered threat, we want that brain to register safety as quickly as it can for their sake so that brain and their body can rest and they can get on with the day. Now, what can have, what, what's really helpful is if there is another adult you can hand them to. So if you can, and I know it's really hard um, if they're at daycare or if, if they're at kindy when there's lots of kids who might need it. But if there can be the same one person every day who takes that um, little person by the hand and says, come on, come with me now, let's go and have a look at the sandpit or let's go and read a story or let's go and see what these kids are doing um, and and either either gives them a cuddle or holds their hand so that that is the next important adult um so so as an important adult you've stepped away but that's okay because the brain can register safety because there is another important adult on the job of looking after me today and if it can be the same person every day who receives them and and an actual receiving so an actual handover rather than um 
you know, just, just saying goodbye if they're upset. Some kids won't need this. The other thing to do is focus on when they're going to see you. So they'll be focusing on on the away. Focus on when they're going to see you. So it might look like here's Miss um, Sally who's going to take you and Miss Sally goes, oh, I've been waiting for you. Come in and her face lights up. Come on, we're going to see what these kids over here are doing and support the integration that way. And then you say, I can't wait to see you this afternoon. I can't wait to hear about your day. Bye, love you. And then you go. So it's that it's that um, it's that focus on the reconnection. Yeah, we bridge that gap between when they say goodbye and when they say goodbye, hello again. Doesn't mean they'll instantly calm. And the thing to remember is, um, they might have years. You know, they might do this for a couple of years, mm. but they're going to get there. They're going to get there. Um, the main thing is that 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 goodbye is really warm and really loving. And if you can have someone receiving them who is also warm and loving, that will be really um, helpful as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know myself, like my two boys, they struggled with drop-offs for a long time, like for a long time. And even going into school, they still struggled for the first probably three to six months. And it became one of those things that we just had to be super consistent with. Mm. This is the system. This is how it's happening. And, you know, being really on the same page with the drop-offs as their school was super, super helpful. My two go to an amazingly open school where we could have that dialogue with the teachers there. But I know a lot of parents do lose sleep over drop-offs and they feel a massive amount of guilt and worry. And, of course, that's, you know, going to trickle down to our kids as well. And I know Mm. that parents really want to be on the same page as daycare educators and school teachers But having those big conversations with the educators might not come naturally for some parents. Do you have any advice on how parents can best approach teachers? Because it can be one of those kind of tricky conversations. I think think if it can be a conversation which is, if you look at what would make people um, resist, it's if there's any sense that they might be not doing their job. So if we come into this with a, um, you know, I know that she is really or he is really happy here during the day, Um, drop-offs are a bit tricky. I know one of the things that would really help is if I can um, hand him or her over to you so he's got, um, so so that he knows that you're there or she knows you're there um, and she can feel safe. Is there a way we can do that? Um, and I understand there's lots of other kids around and it's difficult, but it will make a difference. Um, and for my part, it will also mean that I can give a quick, um, a quick goodbye, a quick loving goodbye and, you know, let you get on with what you need to do for the day. The older I get, and I'll say my kids are 17 and 22, um, the 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 more I have learned that you just have to be a voice for them sometimes for the kids and it is a it is a team with teachers and the more teachers have information about your child teachers want to do the right thing they want to do the best for your child but sometimes it can be hard to to know what that is so if it's a case of if you can do this for me I'll I'll leave quickly I will make sure this happens quickly so you can get on with it because it's also difficult for teachers when there's a couple of kids who are really upset and, you know, it's escalating. Um, one of the things I do want to say about drop-off is it is important to validate the kids. So it might be a conversation like, you know, I know it's hard being away from mummy, isn't it? I miss you too. We need to let them know that we see it. But they are looking to you for signs of safety. They're looking to you for signs of am I safe here? Is Am I going to be okay? Are you going to be okay? Um, without me looking after you that's what they'll be thinking Um, so we need to be really strong in our response I know I I know it's hard and it's hard I miss you too and I know that Miss Sally is going to take great care of you today and I've got a big day at work I can't wait to tell you about my day when I see you and hear all about yours so we have to do it with strength and of course then if you get in the car and burst into tears or ring a friend and say this just feels like rubbish I can't stand this and I have done that on more days than I care to name myself when mine were little (laughs) 
but um, that's okay. And I promise you, they get there. They really do in the moment. And I say this as a mum who has had a child with separation anxiety. In the moment, it feels brutal on both of you, but you have to remember what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's the way to do it. And they will be okay. They will be okay. You're not going to break them. And I am and so I'm right so there with you in, you know, in times of being strong at the goodbye and then getting into the car and just absolutely going to yeah. pieces and <laughs> bursting into tears. And just speaking about parents and their own emotions and their own anxiety, obviously anxiety, like you said, it's there to serve us. It's a human quality. It's one that we all have within us. But when it comes to parents who struggle with anxiety quite often, do you think that it's important for them to verbally express that to their children or is there then a risk of, you know, anxiety becoming more of a learnt behaviour? Okay. So anxiety will definitely, is definitely, can be learnt and it is contagious. But that doesn't mean that we never express when we're anxious. So we have to do both. What we have to do is if we are anxious and it is a valid time, so you're starting big school today um it's such a big day for you isn't it and it can be scary doing new things sometimes I get scared when I'm doing new things and I'm and and it's hard being away and I'm going to miss you too and I know that you can do this I know you're going I know you're going to be okay so it's kind of we can say when we are anxious but it has to come with that strength of and I know that I'm going to be okay or and I know that you're going to be okay so it might be something like, um, oh, I've got, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I might be starting a new, um, oh, I'm meeting all the mums today from school and I do get anxious about meeting new people sometimes and I know it's going to be good for me. I know it's going to be great. I know when I get there I'm going to feel okay. So we do want to model resilience and, and model brave behaviour um, but also model that, it's okay to feel anxious and mum feels anxious and I feel anxious and mum's okay with it so I can be okay with it too. That will take time. That will take that will take time to develop. But what we're doing is we're giving them the language and we're giving them, um, you know, the opportunity to see just where even you can be anxious and do brave. You can be anxious and get the job done because mummy does it or daddy does it or big sister does it or someone does it. So we can model that. What we don't want to do is model not being able to cope with anxiety so it's that it's that I'm just really worried about you or in in our body language if when we drop them off we're really jittery and nervous um and we might feel all of that inside or we might keep coming back um to to say goodbye and check that they're okay or um or try and control too much of the drop off they're going to get a sense that we're worried about it and they will pick up on that and what it will be is well if mum's worried there must be something to worry about here so I'm not safe whereas if they can see you being confident um even if you are going to miss them and even if you are anxious because it's their first day or their first week if they can see you being confident they can also catch that so definitely they can catch anxiety and they can also catch brave um and so valuable to stress that point and I guess for any parents who may be really struggling with their own anxiety and it is getting to a point where it's impacting their ability to cope throughout the day and they're not able to act or model you know the full picture mm -hmm. like say they're sort of stuck in a in a place of I guess feeling crippled by their anxiety that's then I guess a really big call to action for them to do the work on themselves so that they sure. can get to a place of being yeah. able to, I guess, model it in its entirety and moving through it. So for parents who are struggling, don't struggle alone. Definitely reach out and get some help if you can. Absolutely. And I also want to get across um, the point that um, even if you do really struggle with anxiety, don't, and your child might struggle with anxiety, um, the, what you learn when you work on your own anxiety will be so valuable. You will be such a valuable support for your child, not despite your anxiety, but because of that, because of what you've learned, because you actually know in your core that you can feel like this and do 
the things that you need to do, even if they make you anxious. So again, it's really important not to feel any guilt um, around that because yes, kids can catch anxiety, but, but if you struggle with anxiety yourself, you are in a perfect and really just profoundly powerful position to also model that that anxiety doesn't have to stop you from doing the things you need to do. Yeah, it can feel awful, but it doesn't have to stop you from doing things and you can actually strengthen against it. And that will be so um, impactful for kids when they, when they see that and you as a resource um, and a support for your child. Absolutely. And now, so I guess in saying that anxiety can be contagious, is there also more of a genetic element to it? Like obviously as, as humans, we all have the ability and the function of anxiety, thank goodness, like you mentioned at the start. Mm. But are there people who are just born with more of a genetic predisposition to being highly anxious or is this when it, you feel that it's and you believe that it's more about learning that? Yeah, so it's both. So there is, yeah, there is, it's, it's nothing with anxiety is ever simple or straightforward, is it? But um, there is a genetic component to it, um, but it can also be, it can also be learned. So you can, the other thing about genetics is it's not destiny. So just because you are anxious and tilt towards anxiety and intrusive levels of anxiety, I'm talking about, so yes, anxiety is a really normal human response, but then it exists on a spectrum and it can get in the way. Um, it can really intrude. And if you tilt towards that and your child tilts towards that, um, you know, we say, well, okay, so there may be a genetic component, component, there may be an environmental component, but genes are not destiny. So just because there is a genetic component there, the environment is actually bigger than that. So the environment can... Um, can have have an effect where even if there is a genetic um, tilt towards anxiety there, um, the way we model and the things we do and, and the way we move them through anxiety and the, the things we teach them around anxiety and the way we, we are ourselves with our own anxiety can actually um, strengthen them against anxiety so that it isn't um, intrusive and it doesn't stop them. It might still be there, but it doesn't get in their way. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing. Now, if a little one is really struggling with anxiety and parents are not sure how to best help them, would you suggest that they do seek some support through, um, you know, going to their GP and then meeting with a, a therapist to do some play-based activities? Like, do you think that there's benefit in doing that for little ones? I think... <laughs> I think there can be. What I say to parents is also it can be helpful for you to get support yourself in how mm -hmm. to move them through because what we don't want is for kids to think there's something wrong with them. So with really young children, um, I, you know, a lot of that is developmentally appropriate. It can be scary as a parent to watch and distressing, but it's developmentally appropriate when we understand that anxiety is there to um, warness of danger and, and these kids they're still learning about the world they're still figuring it out what can happen is that their distress triggers our distress and it can feel um, bigger than it is so if parents can learn the skills um, because even even if children young children are taken to into um, and I'm talking about really young children now mm. It takes a while to build rapport, especially if they are anxious. And that therapist will only have them for probably half an hour, 45 minutes a week. So where the benefit comes in from therapy is parents um, learning the skills and strategies that they can take home and use with their children. So, I don't, and I don't mean, you know, working on themselves, but like how do I parent a child who who seems to be really anxious and resistant to trying new things and has trouble sleeping and and getting um, outside support in that sense in can you can you can you talk to me about what I need to do as a parent to strengthen this child that can be incredibly valuable because parents have um, 
have so much power. And then, but you you already have the connection with your child if you're a parent. Yeah, you so already rather than rather than making that child feel other because they are, you know, rather than saying you are anxious, so we're going to see a special doctor to yeah. help you with your anxiety. It's going. Sometimes you feel anxious and these are the ways that we can support you at home could be more beneficial yeah and it's things like well that's okay everybody gets anxious here's what we're going to do um we don't want to support avoidance we you know there are strategies so things like mindfulness making sure they're moving they're all the long-term strengthenings um and making sure we are we are a strong steady calm presence in the face of their anxiety that's massive yeah. Now, that's something that, that as parents we need to be able to do. Um, it's a really important part of helping kids deal with anxiety and, and manage anxiety. Of course, as they get older, um, therapy might be more useful for them. But I think the message I want to get, um, I really want parents to hear is you have an incredibly powerful um, capacity to strengthen your children through anxiety with um you know the way you are in the face of their anxiety the way you are in the face of your anxiety and it's also you know the the teaching them breathing teaching them grounding teaching them how their brain works during anxiety giving them this awareness um that is really important that's a really important um part of dealing with anxiety and parents can you know can be the conduit for for that information I love that. That's so helpful. And in terms of, you know, exposing little ones to things, you know, say, for example, say you have a little one that's afraid to um, play a team sport or or, uh, jump in a pool or whatever it is. Is it worth pushing them to have that experience or is it more beneficial to build up slowly to that? And I ask this question because I've had so many different Um, pieces of advice come through on this you know I've had people say to me oh it's really important to you know push through you know push through and get them just through one experience of it so they know that it's okay and then you'll have other people who say no no building up a little bit of exposure at times Mm -hmm. and perhaps Mm -hmm. there's no definitive answer on this perhaps it's you know varies from child to child but I'd love your um, Mm. your opinion on that so here so so I think it can be um so it's both but if you can avoid throwing them in the deep end and there's no need to then why would you because it just makes what it does is it registers um it it creates that association in the brain of this thing being really really scary and we don't want to do that so the thing to remember is the brain only learns from experience the amygdala which is the part of the brain um that is responsible for anxiety it only learns from experience so if kids are anxious about, say, trying out um, something new, and is it that they're anxious about trying out something new? Is it they're anxious about being separated from you? We don't know, but we'll deal with it the same way. So the brain has registers that registered unfamiliarity, say, as as a threat because you might make a mistake, you might humiliate yourself. We don't know what the brain's, you know, thinking, but it's registered as a, as a threat. The only way the brain will learn that this is actually safe is having experience with that thing and having it end safely. So the only way through anxiety is through anxiety, is straight you through the middle. You build evidence. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so, but what I would say is if you can do it gradually, do it gradually, there's no hurry. If it's something there's no hurry for, something like a school drop-off, there might not be a way to do it gently. Um, well, it might be like I'll stay with you for 10 minutes and then I'll go and then I'll walk you to your room and then I'll go and then I'll, you know, I'll walk you to the gate and then I'll go. So you can build up gradually that way. Um, or you might build up um, separation. If separation is the issue at school, it might be, well, why don't you stay at grandma's for an hour and then I'll pick you up and then stay for two hours and I'll pick you up and then stay for dinner and I'll pick you up after dinner and then stay overnight and I'll pick you up so that they're getting used to being separated from you. Um, you can build up to it that way. But if you can do it gradually, do it gradually. But as long as there is some anxiety being registered, so it's it's no point where the brain isn't learning unless it's a little bit anxious. Does that make sense? So the brain, for the amygdala to learn, it needs to be switched on. So it needs to be active. So it needs to be feeling a bit of anxiety for it to actually 
relearn some re, re rework that association between unfamiliarity and feeling safe. Now, I will say anxiety might get worse before it gets better because the amygdala won't necessarily just because. Um, so they try something and it doesn't end terribly. The amygdala is not all all of a sudden going to say, "Well, that was okay. We can do that tomorrow, can't we?" It's not going to work that way. It'll actually get worse. So anxiety will get worse before it gets better. So I think if you can do it gradually, but there has to be some level of anxiety um, for it to change. And do a step, but once you've made a step, don't go backwards. So you might stay on a step for a long time, but once they start to get safe with that and 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 that's okay, then you've got to move to the next step. Um, but don't go backwards. Don't go back to nothing. So helpful. This is going to be really, really helpful for our listeners. Thank you so much. I just had another question that we can end on in terms of speaking about anxiety for little ones. And this came through on Instagram when I mentioned I was going to be having a conversation on this topic. And the question is surrounding comforters. Is there an age that you suggest weaning a child off a comforter? So say they have a special teddy or a pillow or a, um, a swaddle that they carry around. Like, is there an age that you go, okay, right, enough's enough? Or do you think more of a natural transition? And I'll, I'll say as well before I let you jump in here, I tend to sort of think, you know what, if it's not hurting anyone, it's not hurting anyone and let them let it go on their own time. That's kind of where I, I sit on it. Yep, I'm with you. I think if it's not okay. causing, something's only a problem if it's causing problems. If it's not causing a problem, we don't want them going to school with a dummy in their mouth because that's mm. going to cause a problem um, in terms of like the social aspect of it and we just don't want that. But if it's not causing a problem, then 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 let it go. They're not going to be, they're not going to be 10 and wanting to take their teddy everywhere if they might want to take their teddy on sleepovers but it'll be hidden in the bottom of the bag and yeah, that's okay. yeah. <laughs> we all... so I'm, I'm laughing because that's what my two my boys one of them has two little comforter bears and Karen he has named them Rodney and original since he could talk and so original is because that one was his originally and then he stole Rodney from his brother so he, and he takes he's six and Rodney and original go everywhere but they're not seen so Rodney and original at the very bottom of his school bag I don't think that he takes them out at all throughout the day but it makes me smile because I know those days are numbered there's going to be a day where I go up to his bedroom after he's gone to school and I'm like oh man Rodney and original are here like he doesn't need them anymore so I just you know I smile at it and I go it's cute but I do know that some parents sort of get a bit fed up and go no you know that's that we need to turn that behavior off but I love the simplicity in what you're saying it's only a problem if it's causing a problem yeah yeah and you know when it's time to go to school or um or kindy and you know then they can work out they'll they, they you know you can work out a way with them to to you know it might be in their bag or it might be um, a photo of it or something like that I don't know or, or they might replace it with something else but but that's okay and if it's something that actually gives them wings to do the brave things that they need to do then that's okay it's not causing a problem for them um, but it's actually opening them up to being able to do the things that feel hard then that's okay it's not going to hurt them brilliant and you're right and the days they will the the days of it are numbered they will not want you know their their special blankets or their teddies when when they're big, um, and they will naturally, there will naturally come a point where they let go of them. But as long as um, you know, we're also working on the 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 brave mindset and the brave behaviour. And this is what you do when you feel anxious, and um, then that's where, yeah, that's that's where we want to be. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm sure that there are going to be so many parents who have so many helpful takeaways from this chat. And before I let you get back to your day, I would love to just finish with our rapid fire round of questions where it's more about getting to know you as a person. Um, You've provided so much expertise, but I'd love to know a little more about you if you have time. Yes, of course. Okay, they're super quick. So firstly, what is your standard cafe order? 
uh, flat white. And if there is something sweet, I will have something sweet, but it depends on what it is. I actually flip around all the place, all over the place on that, but flat white always, every time. Love that. And do you have a must read book that you recommend? Um, I would say, uh, and the name's actually, the name's actually left me. <laughs> it's, it's, um, into, into the magic shop. It's a, it's about, um, uh, mindfulness and it's written by a neurosurgeon. It's a really incredible, I incredible. listened to a podcast with the author of this book not too long ago. I yeah, can't think of his name either, but I, I did, I listened to a podcast about it. Yeah, it's. I'm looking for it in my bookcase, and it's just not there. It's not coming to me. But into the magic shop, it's. It's just. It's one of the best books. It's. It's my one of my favourites. Yeah, I can. Um, I can find out the author's names. Uh, the author's name. Excuse me, and pop it in the show notes. Now, what is the last thing that you watched on TV? Uh, Law and Order. I'm such a Law and Order junkie. <laughs> It's always good for a bit of escapism, isn't it? <laughs> it's my um, it's my guilty pleasure. It's it's guilty just, pleasure. Yes, it is, and you know, there's always <laughs> there's always long and order shows on. Um, on there Fox. is. <laughs> you know, I was smiling because I was just thinking there always is. There's always one that you can catch. It's funny. Um, yeah. Now, would you share with us what is your worst habit? If you oh, have one. I have, I have so <laughs> many habits. <laughs> um, probably starting things and not finishing them. Books, um, you know, cooking. I just, I will start something and then I'll move to something else, starting things and, and, and not finishing and just having so many things open, waiting for an ending in my life <laughs> that don't it's, come, I would say. It's funny that you say that, Karen, because I was having this conversation with a friend last night and I was saying, I don't know whether this is a good habit or a bad habit of mine that I will start a book, but if it doesn't grab me, I won't finish it. I'm like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know, even if it grabs me, I Into the Magic Shop is actually probably one of the very few books I've finished Um like read cover to cover, and I read a lot of books. Um, yeah, right. Even if it's a even if it's a fantastic book, because then there'll be another fantastic book that comes into my life that I just need to. I'll just start it, and then I'll go back and finish the other one. But it just doesn't work out that way. But that's okay. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Now, what would you say is your best habit? Um, I think my best habit is. Um, I think oh, I don't know if it's a habit, but more um, probably it's it's more um, the the best thing I do is checking in with everybody in this house. Every time I walk through the door, it's like it's the first time I've seen them for the day. Um, and when they get up, it's like it's the first time I've seen them. And I think that's just. Um, I think especially for our kids or our partners, it just can change the mood of the house for the day. And I know that because the days I don't do it, um, it can flow a little differently sometimes. I like that. There's um, a mindfulness and meditation, I guess, teacher that I really, really enjoy listening to her work. And she always talks about segment intending so it's noticing, okay, this is another segment of the day and checking in again with the people around you. So I love that. I think that that's a really great habit to cultivate. Mm. Um, next, do you have a favourite quote? Um, I would have um, probably my favourite one is don't worry about the cracks, it's how the light gets in. And I want to say it's, um, I want to say it's Leonard Cohen. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. So it's a well-worn one, but I just, it's one that I've had proven to me over and over and over. It's very poignant, isn't it? It's a beautiful quote. I love that one. And last but not least, what do you do for fun, purely just for play and for joy for yourself? For me, um, do you know my favourite thing to do is 
just to lie on my bed and watch TV. And that sounds terribly um, dull, but it's just because I don't get to do it very often. And if I can have, um, if everybody is out of my house and I've got takeaway and I can eat it in front of the so TV, that just, it is pure joy. I Like I love my family and I love having them home and I love having that, that quiet space to myself where I can I'm in control of the TV and I've just got takeaway there that I didn't have to make and I don't have to clean up after and I'm set I'm, for a couple of hours. It's just I'm joy. sat here smiling because you said that sounds <laughs> dull. But literally every mother ever <laughs> I think that you know we've all had that fantasy of just booking into a hotel and getting Uber Eat and just being left the hell alone. So I get that. I completely get yeah, that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. And so where can our community connect with you? Where can they find out more about you, Karen? So on um, heysigmund.com, www.heysigmund.com, all all of the information is there. It's my website. I'm also on Instagram um, and I'm on Facebook, but I've had to build a new Instagram and Facebook page because I – um, my old one I've been locked out of where we're working on getting it back um, but my Instagram is Karen Young Hey Sigmund and my Facebook is Karen Young Hey Sigmund it's the it's the Facebook so there's two there at the moment my old one is still there but I just can't access it but the one I'm posting all the time on um, has my picture on it and it's Karen Young Hey Sigmund um, not Hey Sigmund Karen Young which is the old one when we get them back i'll get you to send through all of your um, links and then we'll pop them in the show notes so that people can click through to make sure they have the right pages that are active because i'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to hear more from you i'm so grateful for your time today thank you so much thank you thank you for talking um and and having this conversation about anxiety i think it's a really important one to have um and anxiety is really manageable and parents are really powerful and i'm just really grateful um you know for the opportunity to just expand that conversation so thank you for doing that and thank you for inviting me into it of course anytime Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 